2: The Gap Factory Labor Day sale is happening now. Hurry in for the best deals of the season. 40 to 75% off everything, plus doorbusters August 30th through September 2nd only. Tees from four ninety-nine, dollars logo styles from sixteen ninety-nine, and jeans from nineteen ninety-nine. Shop in-store today at Gap Factory or at GapFactory.com.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Dynasty Tradecast with myself, Nathan Powell. And today, I am joined by my good friend, Dan Senyo. Dan, how's it going tonight?
3: It's going. There's uh, there's a lot of screaming in my house. Uh, some would probably call the police if they heard some of the blood curdles uh, coming through here. But you know, we're we're gonna do our best to hopefully not uh, destroy everyone's earbuds. Which I mean, it's probably just the normal at this point having to listen to me week in and week out as it is. So um, we'll we'll just try to keep the high pitched ones out of here.
1: And tonight we are lucky to be joined by a uh, a recurring guest on the Dice Trade Cast. We are joined by. Brian Malone. Brian, uh, you uh, contribute a number of places uh, and you also do some stuff just on like Google Sheets, basically. Uh, Brian, uh, how's it going tonight?
4: It's going pretty well. Yep. Uh, Just enjoying the free agency. This seems to be the best one that I can remember, even though much of it is trade-based.
1: Yeah, we have had a wild.
2: The Gap Factory Labor Day sale is happening now. Hurry in for the best deals of the season: forty to seventy-five percent off everything, plus doorbusters August thirtieth through September second only. Tees from four ninety-nine, logo styles from sixteen ninety-nine, and jeans from nineteen ninety-nine. Shop in store today at Gap Factory or at GapFactory.com.
1: Wild seven days or. Are- eight days since we last released a trade cast. So we're going to kind of cover the the two major things and then get into some of the minor free agency stuff. Uh, Just so people know we were recording this on Tuesday night, it'll be released on Wednesday night. So uh, if something crazy happens between now and then we just didn't get to it. Uh, So we're going to start us off with last Friday, we had the trade of Antonio Brown to the bills, which was then next hours later, uh, either inaccurate reporting or Antonio Brown said I'm not going to the Bills and then they reversed it. And then a couple of days later, Antonio Brown traded to John Gruden and the Raiders. Dan, what were your initial thoughts on the Antonio Brown trade?
3: Well, I got to be honest with you. I fully believed that they they had gre- an agreement to go to the Bills, you know, verbal obviously. And he's like absolutely not. I am not going there. That is not about to happen. Uh, So I think to the Raiders is obviously, a for me, a pretty big downgrade for AB just from an offensive-slash-quarterback standpoint. Uh, I think the biggest benefactor is going to be Derek Carr, who still isn't great, but it will help him, obviously, anytime you can bring in one of, if not the best wide receiver ever. um, (laughs) That should bode pretty well for you. Uh, And yes, Antonio is still going to be an absolute target hog. Uh, I can't imagine them them not taking full advantage of whatever years he has remaining and just throwing it to him as many times as possible. So, so from a volume perspective, he should still be probably just fine. But the downgrade at quarterback makes me slightly leery of the quality of target.
4: Yeah, I think that's fair. But you know, 2018 wasn't a great year for quality targets for Antonio Brown. Anyway, he already saw he was seeing way fewer catchable targets. Uh, Than any time over the last five years from Roethlisberger. So yeah, I think the volume is going to be there. I expect a slight downtick, but really just getting him on an NFL roster after the whole Le'Veon Bell thing last year was good enough for me. That was enough to give him a slight value bump in my book.
1: Yeah, my, my initial thoughts on Antonio Brown to the Raiders, yes, there's a downgraded quarterback from Roethlisberger to Carr, but there is the possibility of a better quarterback going to Oakland soon, whether it be Kyler Murray, if he drops to four, probably not. He's probably going to number one. But Haskins, or even just in 2019, we'll see what they do with all the draft capital that they have. But the, my main thing with Antonio Brown is that the volume to, like, as far as percentage of the offense is going to increase. So With the Steelers, he had to share with James Conner, Gigi Smith Schuster, and James Washington as he developed. With Oakland, he's sharing with absolutely nobody. They have Jalen Richard and Seth Roberts. And that's it. Like, certainly they're going to add something between now and and September. But basically, any points coming out of the Raiders' offense right now are going to be directed towards Antonio Brown. So, I mean, I think that he's still a top five option in the short term. And I think that he's, you know, worth a mid. I'm in second in startups. Uh Dan, where, where would you be taking uh, Antonio Brown in startups today?
3: I think mid-second's about right. I don't think you can pull them pull them down any further. Just just based on volume, honestly. It's it's still gonna be there. Um it's as as negative as I want to shed the light on this. I, I don't think you really can because of the volume. I think I think mid-second is is probably yeah, it's probably right in between his floor and his ceiling. I don't think you can take him in the first just because of the quality youth that's that's there now. Um, I just, once you get through that that big first tier, I think he's a really smart play. Maybe even early second, depending on whether you like wide receivers or running backs, because I think he's kind of in that mix right there uh, at, at maybe the between top 14 and 16 assets.
4: Yeah, I think a sneaky aspect of this is, I mean, Derek Carr is not good but he's also not a complete disaster. And I don't know how much longer Ben is going to last in the league. So, you know, part of my concern about Antonio Brown then and now Juju Smith, Smith-Schuster is if if they get saddled with just a complete disaster, you know, Brock Osweiler or lever quarterback, uh, that's a problem. And Derek Carr, I think, can support uh, fantasy wide receiver one.
1: Yeah, and I guess we'll move on. As you mentioned, Judy Smith-Schuster, uh, he would be the main benefactor for many in this trade. And my main concern about Judy Smith-Schuster at this moment is that I don't think people should be vaulting him into the Antonio Brown role or the Antonio Brown level of targets. And if they're doing that, obviously they're putting him at like a top three, top four startup pick. And I think that would be a bit premature. I think he's a very good player, but I don't think he is on the level of Michael Thomas, of DeAndre Hopkins, of Odell Beckham Jr. I just don't think he's at that level of player. And there's the concerns of Big Ben Roethlisberger uh, retiring. So I, I just think there's better guys to invest the top five startup pick in, as well as the running backs. So. Um, what 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 do you think of the impact on, on Juju, Brian?
4: Yeah, I'm not ready to put him as my dynasty wide receiver one, which I've seen on Twitter, but um I think anytime after that top five, I'm ready to jump on it. Uh, you know, I I don't think this is I was ready to do that before the Antonio Brown trade, though. Um, just having his production so young makes him a very good bet for sustained multiple wide receiver one seasons. And I'm all about that. So I, I don't think this is a major upgrade. I it, it, If anything, it adds a little bit of uncertainty to his outlook. But I, I'm still taking him in the second half of the first round.
3: Yeah, I don't think Juju is necessarily the main benefactor, only because of the fact that he was already there. You know, Like Brian said, he was already doing that with Juju, whether AB was there or not, because of his youth, because of his production. He was going to be that guy. I think the main benefactor here is definitely James Washington, you know, barring they draft like nine more wide receivers that are going to take snaps away from him. And obviously, that's been the talk of the town of late with AB, you know, moving on potentially. You know, James Washington moves way up. I think we saw him come on a little bit at the end of the season, uh, but obviously, we didn't get to see his full force. So I think, I think as time goes on, we just see that the Steelers continue to be really, really good at drafting wide receivers and bringing them through uh, their franchise that way. And I think James Washington gets a huge boost here again, assuming that they don't draft a, a wide receiver. I think in the, probably the first three rounds, I'd be really comfortable by saying James Washington gets a big boost.
1: Yeah. I, I do think that there is actually room for James Washington's value to increase. Some say, Oh, it, now is the trade window. And it may be because there, there is certainly risk in waiting until after the draft, wait until after free agency. But but if they go through free agency and the draft without investing significant capital at the wire receiver position, people will be all over James Washington saying, okay, this guy's the wire receiver two in Pittsburgh. He's going to be in a high-volume passing offense. And so, yes, his value has increased post-AB trade, but I think it will increase even more if and when they don't invest at the wide receiver position and free agency in the draft.
4: Yeah, have you guys seen any deals? seems like there isn't as much hype around James Washington as I would have expected uh, maybe it's because everyone saw the AB trade coming and it's been a foregone collusion. It's already priced in, but is he fetching what is he fetching a late first right now?
1: No. I mean, I, I think that his performance slash lack of uh, production in year one has pushed him to the early second at the max, even with the positive uptick with the AB news. I, I, I don't imagine seeing a first traded for Washington right now.
3: Yeah. I think it depends on, on the owner in the league. I think, if if it was the guy that drafted him that really loved him and maybe snatched him up a little bit earlier in that later portion of the first round, kind of where he was going, I don't think those guys are moving off for anything less than like a mid-ish first, like maybe 108. Um, but then the guys that maybe just fell into him at 202 or 204 in some drafts where other people just kind of went ahead and thought, well, James Washington fell in my lap, I guess I'll take him those are probably the guys you might be able to swap a second for James Washington right now. Uh, but I honestly, even though Nathan, I, I think, I think second is probably where a lot of people have him or had him. I honestly think he's worth every bit of a, of a mid to late first, just, just from the potential alone. Uh, once you get beyond those top six or seven picks in this class, I think you can absolutely make a case for James Washington.
1: Yeah. I, when I mentioned the two Oh one, maybe one 12 as a, you know, ceiling type move. I was talking more as a buyer than as a seller as sure. a seller. I would not move him without getting a first and returning probably even one in the top eight. All right, let's move on to the news that came out pretty much like an hour before we started recording uh, fun fact. We almost recorded this podcast yesterday and we couldn't. And so we are benefiting from that. We are getting the <laughs> Odell Beckham jr. News uh, Odell Beckham jr. Traded to the Cleveland Browns for a first, a third and Jabril peppers. Uh, so, Brian, what was your immediate reaction to Odell Beckham to the
4: Browns? Yeah, so my first reaction is, I think it's, you know, a slight uptick for Beckham, but he's already, you know, he's already there. He he solidifies himself. He's a less risky top five dynasty pick now than he was before. Uh, but I, I'm not actually moving him up value wise, just because he's locked in with his quarterback now. He's not saddled with Eli Manning or whatever disaster is going to come after that. So he's in good shape. Jarvis Landry is a really tricky one, and I've been trying to figure that out because I was pretty high on Jarvis Landry this offseason for the first time ever. And of course, now it's looking like it's going to bite me in the ass because, I, you know, great, he's going to have a little bit less coverage, but losing those targets, I think, is going to be a problem for him.
3: Yeah, I think I think the big thing for Landry is is yes, we we remove some some volume from it, but I think it it gets him more comfortable moving back inside a little bit more rather than not necessarily being forced to play outside. But I think having Odell on the outside, it makes it a little bit easier for the Browns to move him inside, where I think he's probably most capable. And you know, honestly, that's probably where he's going to produce the best. Yes, he can play outside, in my opinion. Uh, I just don't think. I don't think that they would be smart to use him in that way with Odell already out there. And then you can throw one of the other speedsters out on the other side um, and really work that middle because now you have now you have the tight end and the slot receiver to really do it. Plus you have a backfield that's absolutely insane. So all of that underneath stuff is I mean, you're gonna have all of the options in the world. Plus you might be able to take those shots down the field with OBJ, uh, and whether it's Callaway or Higgins or whoever else, it sounds like they may be bail that that Paraman maybe. Bailed on his deal to uh, to get out of there once OBJ signed. So, I think I think it's it's gonna it's gonna help all those involved. But honestly, the big thing for me here is Baker up to two at at quarterback. Uh, I think you could make a case for him at one, but no one's going to surpass Mahomes at least until we see it. Uh, Baker Baker, I think you can lock in. I think there are some people that had him still outside their top six or seven for some reason. Uh, I think I think this absolutely locks him into top two for the foreseeable future unless he gets hurt or they just dis- decide to disband the Cleveland Browns.
1: Yeah, I- I'm along with you guys. I-, I do think that this is that uh, Baker Mayfield is the go- the big winner. Everyone thinks Baker Mayfield is the big winner here. Um, but honestly, from a you know acquisition standpoint, a, a buying standpoint, this move is terrible for anyone who was ever planning on buying Baker Mayfield this offseason and hadn't yet because his price is now ridiculous. And one quarterback in Superflex, doesn't matter what the format is, you're going to be paying too much if you're going to try to acquire uh, Baker Mayfield outside of maybe a startup. I mean, I'm fine taking him 102 in a, in a Superflex startup right now. But the one that I think is still a reasonable acquisition to make that is a winner from this trade, it's Evan Ingram. I, I think that obviously we saw what his like true breakout came in his rookie season. And that was with Odell Beckham with the torn ACL. So we kind of knew that Evan Ingram's ceiling was always capped by having, you know, a true number one wide receiver uh, on the team. Now you have Sterling Shepard who, who honestly could be an NFL wide receiver one, but not one that's going to dominate targets like an Odell Beckham. So you put an in Evan Ingram there. And I think that he returns to his rookie form more so than his sophomore form. And so, yeah, t- targets glorified Everton Ingram. And yes, he has an uptick in value, but I think he's more worth his uptick than Baker is.
3: Really wise choice of words there, not attacking Sterling Shepard on this here podcast, because <laughs> I would have lost it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I think, honestly, the, the, the one that I was thinking about as I was being screamed at by an 11-month-old, uh, I think... I might consider moving off of a lot of my Saquon Barkley shares within the within the calendar year. Uh, I, I think they are A, going to run him into the earth's crust, and B, he's going to be playing against 47 people in the box. And as great as Saquon Barkley is, he's going to have absolutely no chance. So I think right now his value is probably it's highest because he's one Oh one locked in every league, no matter what. So I think if you can break him down into a wide receiver one and potentially an RB one, cause that's kind of what you need to get to move off of him. If you can find somebody that has the depth to do that, I'm pulling the trigger on that 99 times out of a hundred.
4: Yeah. So Ingram, I think Ingram and, and Joku just kind of flip flop for me. Um Both, both young with some production. Um And I, I don't see how Njoku – Injoku and Landry, one of them is going to get drowned out there, and maybe both. But so Ingram Ingram flip-flops, and he's going to jump into, that. I think, that top five tight ends before the end of the offseason. And then flipping to Barkley, man, I'd have to think about that one. He's obviously going to keep getting a ton of receptions, so it's tough, to, it's tough to pivot away from him too quickly. But I do see where you're going. I mean, the team could be a disaster. He could be in four – you know, a David Johnson, 2018 type season where he's still catching passes, but there's just nowhere to run. And you're not going to score a lot of touchdowns in that offense.
1: But if it's Rosen or if it's a Haskins or basically if it's Rosen or a 2019 rookie quarterback, I do think there's an uptick in Barkley's value from there. People saying, okay, we have some sort of bright future with a young quarterback. Now, if, we don't get a 2019 rookie quarterback, and we don't get a Rosen. Then it's like, oh, you know, when are the Giants act- ever going to actually invest in the quarterback position? And then you got people saying tank for two. Oh, da, 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 da. But basically, the, the hope as a Barkley owner would be to get a young quarterback, whether it be Rosen or a 2019 rookie quarterback, ASAP.
3: I think the problem with uh, the rookie, um, the rookie quarterback thing, because they did just get leapfrogged, or they're getting leapfrogged. And they're going to have to move into two to get Haskins or Kyler. If for some reason he doesn't go Cardinals. And now what you go Metcalf at six and drew lock or Daniel Jones at 17. that's, I mean, now you're just, you might as well just keep Eli until he's actually in a coffin somewhere. It's for, for short term, it's, it's tough. Obviously we're playing dynasty. So you have to have that little bit broader of um, perspective, but Right now, it's it's going to be ugly almost no matter what. Now, next year, if they can get Lawrence or if they can get Tua or if they can get you know, one of those guys, I think we see a massive upswing. I just really worry about, like Brian said, obviously it's just one year, but we can see a massive downturn in, in Barkley, and we can see him drop off the face of the planet as far as a value perspective goes. And now you're not, maybe not ever going to get back to his peak value, which is right now. I think that's the main takeaway is yes, he will still be great and he'll probably become great again once they get away from Eli. But I don't think he's ever going to have this type of value again because he's, he's only getting older. He's a running back and it's out to get, I think, probably pretty ugly for him. So I think moving off of him right now, just from a value
1: standpoint is, is probably the smart move in my opinion righty, let's move on from the the diva wide receivers, uh, as some call them, uh, Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham, and we'll move on to uh, another diva, Brian Malone. Uh, he has a cohort report. Um, Brian, I'm stupid. Explain the core, cohort report to me.
4: All right, stupid person. Um, <laughs> so the idea here is, I took, I went back and looked at every running back, wide receiver, quarterback, and tight end drafted since 1985, and compiled their fantasy football points per game ranks um, and then put them in tables by age and showing their production and then grouped them with players who have done similar things over the past, however many years. So I'm just switching over really quickly. Todd Gurley, I have as an age 24 running back who finished as a top six, an RB one through six uh, at age 24 with at least two prior top 12 seasons. And you've got guys like Emmett Smith, Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, Tomlinson, Ray Rice, Adrian Peterson, Curtis Martin, Maurice Jones-Drew, and Leshawn McCoy. And it lines them all up, shows you what their age 24 season is. And then to the right of that, you see how the rest of their careers played out. And it's a very quick visual. Uh, It's all color-coded, but not in kind of a crazy conditional formatting way that can sometimes get really ugly. And you can just look at the Todd Gurley page and see like, okay, Here's what, you know, we can expect maybe three more top 12 seasons from him and two more top six with a high end of and Tomlinson and a low end of Ray Rice, though. I mean, obviously outside circumstances there, but he was falling off before that happened too. Um, and that it does that for over 150 dynasty relevant players, quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers and tight ends.
3: So for those of you that don't understand how this works, historical data absolutely matters. And this is really important. And Brian was nice enough to compile it all and make it really pretty and nice looking. And you absolutely need it in your lives.
4: Yeah. And the other thing is it's free. So if you just go to Twitter at Brian Malone FF, it's my pinned tweet. You can download the Google Doc. Um, There are options if you want to contribute something to, you know, help me do this again in the future, but it's free to download. It's very easy. You can also DM me on Twitter if you have any questions. Um, I'm always open to talking about it. And in fact, some people, you know, early on DM'd me like, hey, you've got a typo here, you've got a typo there. So I was able to fix some things. Or, you know, if you have a special request and you want to see something tweaked a little bit, as long as you don't, you know, abuse that, then I'm happy to accommodate. So yeah, go take a look at it. It's got, it's got everyone you want. So I guess I could talk about a couple guys who, you know, are buy you know, buy candidates or sell candidates off this. Um, Probably the first guy I would look to move is Sony Michelle. Um, every you know, he came on at the end of the season, but he was he was still an RB three at age twenty three, and that's that's not a good place to be. Um, to have your rookie season be in a low end RB three at age twenty three, there just aren't many success stories there. And you've, he's got like fifteen guys in his cohort, maybe a few more. And many of them are names I don't recognize. The one hit is D'Angelo Williams. uh, And then the next best after that is like Travis Henry. So it's, it's pretty ugly.
1: So is this based on a points per game basis or is it uh, a season
4: long total? This is all points per game. Um, Just to give you an, just because I don't want, you know, if you miss three games with a hamstring injury, I don't want that to count too much against you. So I want it to be just like, how much are you producing on a weekly basis to give you a sense of, You know, talent, scheme fit, and all that stuff. And the idea here is not to give you a definitive answer on any player, but just to give you a base rate of, you know, guys who look like this, who've done, you know, who've done whatever in their rookie season, or who have done, you know, finished as a wide receiver one, two times out of their last three at age 27. What happens next? And, you know, give you 15 or 20 guys. To give you a high, low, and kind of expected mid range.
1: And uh, Sonny Michelle's is an interesting name uh, in particular because I, I'm obviously a draft capital zealot. I will uh, go draft capital till the day I die. So Sonny Michelle, first round pick. How how if you let's, let's say you're looking at your model and you're saying, or your cohort report, and you're saying, okay, there's not very many guys with this uh, level of success that have this profile, 23 years old, and it was an RB three. Uh, do you? say give it more of a pass because he's a first round pick or do you say oh that maybe he's a first round pick and he got the opportunity and he still didn't get more than rb3 so basically how is draft capital weighed in for you maybe not in the particular like gathering of the data but analyzing the data
4: yeah actually that's a good point so for sony michelle in particular i actually restricted it to guys who were drafted in the first two rounds of the draft and then for rookies Everyone is sorted by their draft position, not by their actual finish. So Sonny Michel, his cohort is age 23, first-year running backs, drafted one to 64 overall, who finished as a running back three or four, actually, is, is his cohort. And so you'll look and you'll see a bunch of first-round busts and a bunch of second-round busts and then a couple guys who hit. And then Nick Chubb. I mean, so that's that's his cohort. So it's, it's actually baked in. Now, once you get into guys who've been in the league five or six seasons, you'll still see their draft position uh, within their cohort, but I don't restrict by it. Uh, But for rookies, I do. And not only do I restrict it by draft position, but then I sort by draft position. So you can see there are some cohorts where, like if you finish as a wide receiver for your rookie season... you were drafted in the first round you look a lot better than if you were drafted in the second round for example
1: gotcha so you listed a sell in sony michelle who would be a buy from the cohort report
4: yeah so well it used to be jarvis landry which is troubling now so uh i think my next guy just in part based on how low he's going is devonta freeman um you know people forget he was in. He was coming off three straight RB one seasons. Now they weren't. You know, his last couple weren't the best RB one seasons, but guys who are coming off that they tend to have one or two more RB one seasons left. And you're getting him at this point for a mid to late first. Uh, so I'm I'm happy to pay that price on a contender.
3: Yeah, I actually had a tweet uh, not too long after the season uh, in regards to Sony Michelle and other running backs who saw 200 plus carries uh, this this season and I kind of I kind of aligned it all by attempt by points per game finish and uh, um, uh, passes caught and the guys that really stood out to me in that in that grouping were guys like Jordan Howard and Derrick Henry and Sony Michelle so you know I, I'm fully fully in agreement with with Brian with, here. I think I think Sony's price tag right now has him in full sell mode. I think I think his ceiling is that of an RB2, uh, especially with where he's at and unlikely to c- catch passes in that offense. Uh not necessarily that he can't do it or, or that we know that he can't do it, but with James White kind of locked up there and and you know the it being the Patriots and them doing what they love to do with running backs, I think I think him having the ceiling of of that, in my opinion, again, uh, you might feel differently, Nathan or or Brian, still, but I think with with that potential ceiling, I think it's really really tough not to sell him right now, just based on on kind of well Brian's cohort report.
4: All right. Yeah, you, uh, oh, I was wait. gonna say you mentioned the receptions. The only place where I I did explore trading away Michelle, but I couldn't quite pull the trigger was in my points per carry league, um, just because in that you know when you're getting. Two or a quarter point per carry in that offense. You know he looks like a pretty solid hold.
3: Yeah, format's definitely important, especially if you're one of those weirdos that's still playing standard. Then obviously he would still be somebody that's probably pretty valuable in that that low RB one range.
1: All right, let's wrap up the cohort report talk with one more question. Uh, we talked Superflex on, on a recent podcast. Brian, is there a obvious buy or sell from the quarterbacks based on the cohort report?
4: So I am least confident about the quarterback section in the ho- re- cohort report. Man, maybe that name isn't so good. Um, I'm <laughs> least confident about the quarterback section in the cohort report just because the sample sizes are so small throughout. Um, mm-hmm. So, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to go <laughs> out on a limb there. Uh, you know, maybe like Jared Goff is just scrolling through. But know, I feel like negative. what's that? As positive or negative? A, he, he would be a positive guy for me, especially compared to some of the other youngsters. But I, I'm i just not going to go out on a limb for the quarterbacks there. Sorry.
1: Okay. That, that is definitely fair. All righty. We're going to transition to the second half of the show, and we're going to talk the remainder of the free agency slash trade news going on in the NFL this week. Once again, if Le'Veon Bell signed with the Ravens in the last uh, four hours since you listened to this podcast – Uh, It didn't happen while we were recording. So, anyways, let's start off with another non trade. So, with two trades and then another non trade. It was almost a free agency deal, but ended up being a trade. Deshaun Jackson leaves Tampa, gets traded. Uh, Deshaun Jackson is seventh for a sixth round pick uh, to the Eagles. He returns to Philadelphia. Uh, I'll start us off as the Tampa Bay uh, fan of sorts. I never quite understood the the Winston Deshaun Jackson fit. I always thought that was odd. Winston isn't a you know a deep ball thrower, and basically he overthrew Deshaun Jackson every chance he could. They never seemed to get you know any sort of mesh. Ryan Fitzpatrick and Deshaun Jackson had had a bit of a fit, a mold going, but it it didn't make much sense to continue on with Deshaun Jackson. Going into 2019 with the Bucks, especially with Chris Godwin giving, beginning to emerge, maybe Justin Watson beginning to, you know, have a role in the NFL. And, of course, O.G. Howard, uh, better to give targets to OJ Howard than Deshaun Jackson anyways. So um, I've given my uh, Tampa take on the Deshaun Jackson situation. Uh, Brian, what are your take on Deshaun Jackson in Tampa as well as Philly?
4: So I just don't see much for him fantasy-wise in Philadelphia. I just don't think it's going to be there. I don't know if Wentz is a great deep ball thrower. He's got a strong arm, but I'm I'm not sure he has that deep ball accuracy. So that's a question mark for me. And then Alshon and Ertz both, I think, are a clear uh, step ahead of him in targets. So I think he's going to be the same old, same old Deshaun Jackson which is not very exciting to me unless you, it's a league where you're starting you know, at least 60 wide receivers each week across the league. So 12-team, start-five wide receiver type deal.
3: Yeah, I think I'd think be more excited about Deshaun if the Eagles kept their quarterback that was good at throwing the ball down the field. Uh, I, think, I think Wentz is relatively similar to, to Jameis as far as down the field passing goes. Uh, and I think if there's anything he's proven is that he's not great at throwing it down the field. Now intermediate stuff. I don't know if they can work Deshaun into that, but that's obviously not his game. I think, uh, I think they really need Carson to improve down the field and they need Deshaun to keep his head screwed on correctly and <laughs> not become a, a, sideline distraction of sorts as he's done in the past with the Eagles, but that's a whole different topic. So, uh, I'm, I'm right with Brian. I think, I think Alshon and Ertz, um, I, I think they really drive that offense and, you know, we'll see what happens with Aguilar. We, I don't know where that's going. Uh, obviously, Goddard, I think, I think we see a lot more two tight end stuff, which, I mean, that really, that really goes to Wentz's strengths, that, that intermediate and underneath stuff. I think, I think he's, you know, he's top five in, in the NFL at that kind of stuff. Um, I just, I don't love the fit with Deshaun and, and Wentz.
1: Yeah, I think that if there's a loser from this trade, it certainly is Nelson Aguilar. It's a a show of a lack of, you know, faith in Nelson Aguilar um, and being a number two behind Alshon Jeffrey, especially in a number two in an offense that didn't really need one because they have the the two tight ends and Goddard and Ertz. Um, so, yeah, definitely stocked down for Aguilar. He goes from a guy who is probably, you know, the occasional bye week start to basically the bottom of your roster. Um, but, I mean, I, I think it is a plus for Wentz, even if he isn't a – a downfield thrower, per se. You know, it can never hurt to add weapons. Uh, I, I do think Deshaun still has some stuff left in the tank. I just don't think he was a good fit fit in Tampa. All right, let's move on to our next player, and it's going to be a pair of free agent wide receivers signing with the Buffalo Bills. John Brown and Cole Beasley both signed on to be the receivers for one Josh Allen. Uh, talk about these pair, Brian.
4: Yeah, well. I'll say I'm less excited about Cole Beasley. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I uh, you know having a slot receiver with an inter- inaccurate quarterback just doesn't excite me at all. Maybe there's something John Brown could do there. Maybe he could be Robert Foster plus uh, over the last half of the season and be a wide receiver three as a deep threat, making a few big plays. So he's probably a guy worth grabbing. You know, people are going to give up on him when they see that he's gone to Buffalo. There was just a massive disappointed sigh across the Twitterverse when he signed with Buffalo, uh, and I am fully on board with that. But maybe there's something there. But Beasley's done.
3: Yeah, I think I think you've got a bigger, better slot type guy in in Zay that makes a lot more sense there. Uh, obviously, Cole Beasley is your prototypical you know small white slot receiver uh the the west welker mold if you will so i mean he is what he is he's he's not flashy he's not you know he's not gonna do anything crazy but i mean he's he's probably a good guy to have in the wide receiver room i guess if we want to call that upside uh yeah i don't have any fantasy interest in in cole beasley i do think i do think john brown is is relatively interesting though um you know Josh Allen is kind of a wild card. I think, I think if we, if he can continue to grow, he can probably support two guys uh, because that team's not that great. And they're probably going to be throwing it a lot. Plus he's got a little bit of rushing upside from Allen's perspective, but I think Smokey is, I think Smokey is definitely the best wide receiver just from a skill perspective. But I think your upside still lies with Foster. Uh, And even a little bit with Zay Jones, I think he's shown enough in the last couple of years where He's he's a capable wide receiver. I just don't think he's gotten enough run, um, or enough production, target volume, anything anything like that quite yet. I think we see uh, a potential breakout this year. Uh, but again, it's all going to be on the shoulders of Josh Allen. If he can if he can take strides and become a better actual quarterback rather than Uncle Rico throwing footballs over mountains, uh, that that'll be really important to all of the parties involved for for the wide receivers.
1: Yeah, my my take on this is that I, I think that this ends up being obviously it plays to the strengths of Josh Allen with his deep passing, John Brown, Robert Foster end up being uh, the deep threats, and Cole Beasley ends up being the guy that gets the you know the short yardage work. And so I think the guy that loses out here is a Jones. Not the not that he's a guy who really had dynasty value in the first place, but I think that he's he's pretty much done. I don't think that he gets uh, targets and, and receptions over Cole Beasley. So yeah, I mean I, I like the signing for Brown, but. I, I, at the same time, both John Brown and uh, Robert Foster are purely best ball assets. I don't, outside of, you know, maybe starting 60 to 70 wide receivers in your league, uh, I don't want to be starting um, either of those two.
3: I will check you on your, your Josh Allen strength with the deep ball. Being able to throw the football really far does well, no, not no. equal okay. being good at <laughs> Yes,
1: that, that, but he, he has it, whether he uses it well is a different story, right? But the fact that he has the big arm means he uses it.
3: Well, yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not arguing that point. He's, he's, uh, he's again, he's got to grow. He's got to get better, especially down the field because he was pretty abysmal, uh, down the field last year. So I, it's all going to, yeah, it all rides on Josh Allen's shoulders, but I, I still think Smokey Brown's pretty intriguing.
1: All right, let's move on to our next uh player. It is Nicholas Foles of the now Jacksonville Jaguars signs a four year 80 something million dollar deal if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, so yeah, uh, this is one of those deals that I haven't seen a single person say, oh, that was a good deal for the Jaguars. Um, so Brian, I'm going to force you. You need to say something nice about the Nick Foles sign. Uh, <laughs>
4: uh, no. I mean... <laughs> I guess, we, you know, we haven't seen the numbers yet. So maybe it's not a massive long-term commitment. He's probably, you know, they're probably made a two-year commitment to this guy and see what he can do. But I, you know, he's, he's gotten his run and he is an adequate, he, he's probably a top 32 NFL quarterback. Um, there you go. That's a compliment right there. Yeah. 32. yeah he, he is a, he is a NFL starting quarterback and, and appropriately So, uh, but I don't think he does anything for any of the pass catchers there. He's Blake Bortles without the rushing upside as, you know, as a fantasy quarterback himself. So he's a quarterback three for me. Um, I just can't get excited about it.
3: I think his biggest benefactor is the fact that he's not Blake Bortles. (laughs) honestly i think i think for me i I don't think he's too far off of that qb3 area i think i think he's got a ceiling of like a low end qb2 but they would have to you know surround him with a lot of talent and with no cap space that's kind of hard to do uh i i don't think it does a whole lot for dd westbrook i think he's a good enough wide receiver in his own respect where the difference between blake bortles and nick Foles won't really be all that noticeable it's just going to come down to volume for him uh, I still think they're going to commit to trying to run the football as much as humanly possible. Whether it's six games of Leonard Fournette or his ceiling of twelve, uh, it's yeah, it's it's going to be a weird offense. I I can't I, I can't fathom why they decided to pay him that much money. There's no way anyone was bidding against him for anywhere near that amount. So that's that's probably the most concerning. <laughs> for me is that the jaguars decided to spend that much money with no competition
1: yeah and just that overall i am a dj chark enthusiast uh as he was a second round pick last year but my any sort of optimism for dd westbrook for dj chark uh for keelan cole no one has any optimism for keelan cole just so you guys know but it's all gone i i think that you know this team is in a whole long term and like Usually you can spin zone and say, oh, well, there's going to be garbage time points or, oh, this team's so bad, there's going to be lots of passing volume. I don't think we can even count on that as far as, you know, a dependable asset for any of these wide receivers. It's rare that you don't get a single fantasy-relevant wide receiver out on an offense, but I think that might be the case with the Nick Foles Jaguars uh, offense. Next, we'll move on to Jameson Crowder, who signed a deal with the New York Jets. Uh, a team that was devoid of wide receiver talent in uh, Sam Darnold's rookie year. They just basically had Robbie Anderson and a bunch of CFLers, and so Jameson Crowder joins joins the team. Uh, Dan, I, I think you're a Crowder guy. What are, what are your thoughts on him to the Jets?
3: I I was a Crowder guy. Uh, he he spent his his too long with the Washington football team names, and uh, kind of I, I've lost interest. I still think he's a he's a pretty darn good wide receiver. And um, first and foremost, rest in peace, Quincy Anunwa. That was fun while it lasted. Uh, goodbye slot potential. However, Jamison Crowder moving back in. I think he's got some real upside, uh, especially, again, if one of these young quarterbacks continues to develop in Sam Darnold. If, if he continues to do well, obviously the slot receivers are, are you know, they can kind of turn into um, the quarterback's binky, if you will obviously still have Robbie Anderson on the outside. We'll see if they add other talent through the draft uh, or maybe still some through free agency, but I think Crowder's a big add. I think I think he's a very capable wide receiver that that brings something that maybe the Jets haven't had and that's a, an actual skilled wide receiver that's good at a lot of things but maybe just slightly undersized and and works really well in the slot. So, I think I think he gets good amount of volume depending on what the Jets plan on doing um obviously i'm not going to boost him way up into you know crazy like wide receiver two wide receiver three status but i think he does potentially have some wide receiver three upside it's all going to come from from volume though like i mean that's obviously what we're driven by so uh if we start to see the volume i think he's good enough where where we can we can starting to put him back in that conversation that he once was
1: yeah and my take on crowder is that uh, he's he's good for, for Darnold. You know, they, they, he had lack of talent at the wide receiver position. He's not the type of guy that like elevates the quarterback position, but at least he's good enough to, you know, get your first downs. And so I'm glad that Darnold has something at the wide receiver position now. Uh, Brian, uh, what are your thoughts on, you know, impact on Darnold and of course impact on uh, um, Crowder himself?
4: Yeah, I think uh, this was kind of a best case scenario for Crowder. Going to Gase, you know, I don't know how much we think that Landry's role in Miami was system-driven but to the extent it was this is a good fit for him and going to a team this devoid of wide receiver talent is that can only be a positive for you with a with a competent quarterback so you know he's going to be the PPR guy Anderson's going to be the whatever standard scoring wide receiver maybe touchdown upside Deshaun Jackson type and uh you know maybe he's a he's a flex option for you
1: all right, let's move on to our final pair of players. It's going to be two guys that have signed with the Saints. It's Teddy Bridgewater, who was traded from the Jets to the Saints uh, this past off, off, or right before the season started. And there's Latavius Murray, who went from the Vikings to the Saints. Uh, Dan, what are your thoughts on these two? Is there a, a buy-sell opportunity for either of them? Uh,
3: I think buying Teddy in, in Superflex Leagues for, for pennies on the dollar is a good move. Uh, I think they're trying to groom him to replace Drew whenever he decides to retire. Obviously, they wouldn't keep bringing him back or make that move to go get him if they didn't feel that he was at least capable. And I think being able to be in that quarterback room with Drew Brees for a few years is really, really important. Um, you know, obviously, him not being on the field is a little bit tough. But if you're rebuilding or doing something like that in a Superflex League, Teddy's really, really cheap, and he's a nice stash to have. And I think I think he is a capable quarterback. I think he can do well, especially with a a good offensive mind behind him i think that makes a lot of sense in, in like i said in a rebuild or something like that and latavius murray i think is i mean the lateral move from mark ingram at the very very least i think latavius can do just about everything that ingram could do uh, it's still i don't see how this hurts uh camara in any way i think i think that offense is still built to to house two running backs uh one that's a little bit more ppr driven and one that's uh, a little bit more standard scoring type driven. I think Latavius still has a real, a real uh, a hold on some some red zone touchdowns. I think, I think that's his real upside. Is I mean he's like he's like if LeGarrette Blunt was good. Let's go with that. I I just I don't see a lot of downside. He's cheap and he's moving into an, an absolutely awesome offense. Uh, we've been able to see him with Minnesota the last few years. And do quite well with with limited work outside of maybe one year where he was getting some some pretty good uh, usage. So I think I think I like both moves a lot for the Saints. I think both are still really gettable and usable in fantasy. Um, obviously, Latavius a little bit older now, maybe not quite as great for dynasty unless you're competing right this minute. So yeah, I, I think I think the Saints did well there.
4: Yeah, I'm a little more skeptical on Bridgewater long term, but I think. Uh... He's a guy to grab right now, and as soon as Drew Drew Brees announces his retirement, you try to flip him for twice what you paid. Um, I, I, you know, no one was after him, um, despite being cheap. You know, the only team that's shown any interest in, in him apparently has been the Saints. I guess Miami made an offer. I don't know how to, how much to believe that, but um, he he was the last guy standing uh, among the quarterbacks. So, fine. Um, but Latavius Murray. Yeah. I think he's, I think dynasty managers will be slow to catch up to his value. And I think you can go offer a mid to late second for him right now and get way more than that in terms of production. So he's a guy, I'll probably be spamming my league with offers, uh, my leagues with offers, uh, tonight before this podcast comes out tomorrow.
1: Yeah. I I do think that, uh, Teddy is a nice sell opportunity in Superflex. If if people are saying okay, he's officially the heir apparent to Drew Brees, but I mean, it, it basically, I mean, this kind of you can kind of say this about every buy and sell. But it's all about how people are interpreting the news. If you interpret Teddy as oh, he doesn't have a have a starting job, he's a buy. If you interpret it as he's the heir apparent to Drew Brees, he's a sell. So, um, alrighty, that'll wrap us up. We went over uh, the two big trades: Odell Beckham Jr., Antonio Brown. Went over the cohort report. And we went over some of the the uh, off season news thus far. Uh, hopefully, not too much comes out before before this comes out. Uh, Dan, uh, thanks for uh, coming on your own podcast. I thank you last week, to thank you again. And um, Brian, uh, pimp uh, whatever you need to pimp.
4: Yep. so you can um, you can find me on Dynasty Command Center most of the time, and then just go to my Twitter handle Brian Malone FF, and you can find the cohort report there.
1: All righty, yeah, Dynasty Command Center. A lot of fun going on there. I've listened to a few of the podcasts, uh, I believe the Dynasty Command Center podcast, that's what it, that's called, with uh, Curtis Patrick and uh, Travis May. And you know, basically, your whole crew rotates through that. Uh, Ryan McDowell as well, frequent guest of the podcast. All righty, uh, Dan, wrap us up. You can say Kadoosh or whatever you want. Kadoosh. Here we go.
2: The Gap Factory Labor Day sale is happening now. Hurry in for the best deals of the season, 40 to 75% off everything, plus doorbusters August 30th through September 2nd only. Tees from $4.99, logo styles from $16.99, and jeans from $19.99. Shop in-store today at Gap Factory or at GapFactory.com.
0: They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop, and as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. amazing offers during the mercedes-benz summer event like the 2019 c-class sedan and glc suv the perfect recipes of driving performance plus you can enjoy six months of sirius xm all access included the mercedes-benz summer event now serving limited time offers on a select lineup of vehicles offers end september 3rd mercedes-benz the best or nothing
5: nobody builds 5g like verizon builds 5g because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in america